0: So we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 7 in the first 24 verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled or deceived by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant things like, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice or righteousness. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows, only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. That's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those old evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves. Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Go now to the place at Shiloh, where I once put the tabernacle that bore my name. See what I did there because of all the wickedness of my people, the Israelites. While you were doing these wicked things, says the Lord, I spoke to you about it repeatedly, but you would not listen. I called out to you, but you refused to answer. So just as I destroyed Shiloh, I will now destroy this temple that bears my name. This temple that you trust in for help. This place that I gave to you and your ancestors. And I will send you out of my sight into exile, just as I did your relatives, the people of Israel. Stop praying for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them. And don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I'm so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the Queen of Heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods. Am I the one they are hurting? Asked the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will pour out my terrible fury on this place. Its people, animals, trees and crops will be consumed by the unquenchable fire of my anger. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel says Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything as I say and all will be well. But my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. Amen. Thanks, Julie.
1: It's a sobering word, isn't it? This is where Jeremiah and Habakkuk, I believe, became quite intimately acquainted Jeremiah was a prophet who his ministry extended over a period of 40 years actually. So he he begins to prophesy according to the scriptures in the 13th year of King Josiah. And Habakkuk as far as we can tell he his his three chapters worth that is happening in the early months in the probably in the first five years of king jehoiakim 's reign so you 've got King Josiah, and we know that King Josiah was tragically killed in a battle, but he had led the the, the nation of judah he 'd led the southern tribes into a, a season of renewing their worship, a season of repentance and a season of reform and but he was tragically killed uh, as, as the geopolitical scenario was changing and he actually went into a battle that God said not to, not to go into and he was killed. And then his son, one of his sons, was put on the throne. Only lasted three months because then the Egyptians came and carried him off to Egypt um, and that was part of the battle that Josiah was fighting. He was trying to prevent certain things. The other son... There was another son who was actually older. So Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim, he comes to the throne and he is a very, very wicked. He's, he's an evil king. So that's the context you've got. Jeremiah begins to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Now Josiah reigned for 31 years. So you can see the, the time gap there and then there's Je, then there's the Jehoahaz, sorry not Jehoiachin Jehoahaz and then Jehoiakim so habakkuk is well people believe from the scriptures and from the way he's written the third chapter that he was a a prophet priest in the temple so his primary sphere of worship and ministry was in the temple and he writes the third chapter of Habakkuk like a song of worship it is a song of worship and there's certain notes to the to the band which indicate that he would have been uh, in the assembly that was giving praise and worship and and that to God in the temple. Jeremiah on the other hand uh, seems to move around. He moves around a lot. So he's in the he's in the towns, and he's he sort of he does venture into the city, and he ventures into the temple. Though he he eventually gets banned from the temple. But that that chapter seven that Wayne just read is sometimes known as the the temple sermon, the famous temple sermon of Jeremiah, because it is so radical. Did you feel? Could you picture yourself? He's at, the, he's at the temple gates. He doesn't go in. He's standing at the gates as the people are coming to worship. And he's, you, you know, they didn't have microphones. He didn't get to set up a stage and blast it that way. He's, he's speaking at the top of his voice. And, you know, it kind of reminds me uh, some of the picture that Nathan was painting of John the Baptist last week. Well, Jeremiah was on fire like that. And the scriptures tell us that at times he tried to hold it in it was like his whole his his bones were burning up he couldn't hold it in the word of the lord so he's standing at the temple gates which means that all the the people in the temple would have been i'm sure like going out to have a listen that the prophets and the priests and i just imagine that habakkuk was there that day and he was aware of jeremiah's ministry although they Possibly never even had spoken because, you know, Jeremiah was in a lot of different places and moving around. But Jeremiah was right there. And this temple sermon, this famous temple sermon was delivered early on, very early. Probably in the first few months of Jehoiakim's kingship when everything was turning back. And Jeremiah 3 verse 10 Jeremiah writes this, In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. So you've got Josiah who's who's had an encounter with God when he discovers the law. He's bringing change. His heart is right. And he's stirring up reform in the land, but you've got a people whose hearts have become so hardened It's just in pretense. And when that king is gone and a wicked one comes, all of the roots and the seeds just come. You know, everything just goes back to the way it was. You can almost hear the people going, oh, good. The restrainer's gone. And this is the situation Jeremiah is speaking into and Habakkuk is listening. Let me paint the context a little bit further. Amongst the gathering, amongst the prophets and the priests... The majority of them did not like what Jeremiah was prophesying. If that was you and you'd heard that, what Wayne just read, right? Someone came, you know, standing outside on a Sunday morning. I'm not sure that you would like it either. I'm not sure that I would like it. But God had promised to make Jeremiah like a fortified bronze wall. He was going to look after him and he did. 40 years jeremiah prophesied he spoke to the exiles after they went into exile he sent them letters he told them 70 years that came from jeremiah how do you think daniel knew 70 years jeremiah wrote a letter he told daniel 70 years daniel start notching them up but jeremiah you know he was in the he was in the line he was in the lineup when king nebuchadnezzar came for the third time 587 BC, and demolished Jerusalem, demolished the walls, demolished the temple. And he was in the lineup waiting to be taken off, chained up. Somebody came along, like they were looking for Jeremiah, that's what I think. Came down the line and said, you, out. He got out of the line, he said, you're staying here. Who do you think might have told him that? Who do you think might have had influence with the commander of Nebuchadnezzar's army? Daniel. Hey, look out for that wild man. He'll be lining up ready to go. Get him out of the line. He's got to stay in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? And he stayed in Jerusalem. And he prophesied to the remnant left behind, which was basically the sick and the elderly and the ones that the the Babylonians didn't regard of any value or worth at all. He stayed with them. And his prophetic word began to change to them. You see, up till that time, Jeremiah had been prophesying, submit to the yoke of the Babylonians, submit to to what is coming. Submit to the judgment. Repent. I think he tried that for a while and then realized that we're way beyond that. So there's no going back here. As the time's getting closer, there's no going back. Submit. Submit. Surrender. In fact, as it got closer to the time, he was saying to them, actually leave the city and go over to the Babylonians. You read Jeremiah. This is what he says. He gets thrown down a big cistern into a slushy mud, terrible thing for saying that. And God sent someone to rescue him again. Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, who heard about his plight and they, they took him up. And they looked after him. God said, I'm going to look after you, Jeremiah, but speak my words. You see, because when God wants his word to be spoken like that, and the way Jeremiah was, it's so that at the the appointed time, he is completely holy and righteous in everything he's doing. Because God will not judge the one he's not warned. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Jeremiah had to warn again and again and again. And there were times when Jeremiah was weary of warning And he was weary of the persecution. And one point he even said, God, why do you even, why was I even born? And God rebukes him. Do you remember the time he complained? Another time. And God says to him, Jeremiah, if you can't handle this little bit, because God knows what's coming so early in his ministry, if you can't run, you know. If you can't get along in the thickets by the Jordan, how are you going to run with the horses? You know that, that thing, Jeremiah chapter 12? And God, you know, God speaks those words to him. God doesn't go, oh, never mind, Jeremiah. Are you sure? Okay, all right. You don't want to do any more? Okay. No. God says, I'm with you, Jeremiah. I've appointed you. I've downloaded my understanding to you. I've filled your bones with fire. Now speak for me and I'll strengthen you. And he doesn't shrink back. He speaks. He stands up and he speaks. At one point he even says to them, Okay, you want to kill me? Fine, kill me. He's hauled up before the palace officials. Kill me. But just know this. Innocent blood will be on your hands. It's like none of them want to touch him. Just know that the Lord knows. But if you really want to kill me, kill me. This is Jeremiah. And he's... His, his, his words are like a double-edged sword. The word of the Lord in his hand is, is like, a, in his mouth, is like a double-edged sword. And he just cuts through. It's, 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 it's cutting through. And it's dividing between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. Thoughts and attitudes. And he's piercing, piercing with these words. He's got the word of the Lord. But like I said, many prophets didn't like what he was saying and they, they persecuted him. They were full of violence. That's what, the, that's what the scriptures say. That was the condition of the time. They didn't, they didn't like what he was saying and they didn't like him. And he turns around to them in Jeremiah 23, another famous passage, and he says, Which of you? This is the word of the Lord. Which of you have stood in the, in the Lord's council? Which of you have stood in his presence? How? Which of you has heard his word and is delivering his word? You're prophesying lies. You're prophesying peace, peace. You think because the temple is in Jerusalem, you think that because God made a promise, an oath to David, you think you're safe? You think if you cluster around the temple and cluster around the center of Jerusalem, you're going to be safe? How foolish of you. The temple won't save you. What do we cling to? Sort of like, by association, I'm going to be okay. Let's go back to Habakkuk now. He's lifting his voice and he's got some complaints, right? Let's let's do some revision. Imagine with me that Habakkuk begins to lift his voice to God the very day he's heard Jeremiah's solemn temple prophecy. Because he's in the temple that day. He's fulfilling his priestly function because it's right around there that this book comes forth. Habakkuk, unlike the majority of the prophets at that time, feared God. I think he was genuinely confused. I think he was genuinely afraid. I think he was genuinely, God, what are you doing? He also was alive during Josiah's reforms. And he says, God, how long must I call for help? But you're not listening. Why do you make me look at injustice? And why do you tolerate wrongdoing? The wicked hem in the righteous and justice is perverted. There's no question that Habakkuk wants God to do something. He wants to see the wicked king brought to justice, Jehoiakim. Because Jehoiakim, I mean, he is doing really, really bad stuff. And I just want to say, let's just kind of go to kind of the, 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 the pinnacle, perhaps you might say, of that bad stuff. They were sacrificing their sons and daughters to Molech in the fire in the Valley of Hinnan, just outside the gates of Jerusalem. If you know Jerusalem, innocent blood was being shed. That's what it's referring to your murders. Now, there would have been other atrocious things going on, too. But this was a practice that Jehoiakim was engaged in. Bring him to justice, God. Why do you let this evil go on? And why are the righteous ones being persecuted? Was he thinking of Jeremiah? He goes on. You O eternal one because God God replies to him, right? God has a response. What's the response? What's God say to his his first complaint? Well, here's my solution, Habakkuk. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Right? Remember that? Just straight up. It's as, it's as if God is saying what you have heard Jeremiah saying. Maybe Zephaniah before him as well but definitely jeremiah what you've heard jeremiah saying habakkuk it's true i'm raising up the babylonians fierce fierce people ruthless yes i know i'm raising them up i'm raising them up to judge judah what if what if someone stood up here and said it, it would be like it would be like someone standing up here and saying I've been praying, I've been crying out to the Lord for Australia. I've been praying for returning in our nation. And the word of the Lord to our nation is, I'm raising up the Chinese army to bring judgment to Australia. Wouldn't it be a bit like that? That is not a prophetic word. I'm just trying to get you into the story in a way that you can begin to Imagine what this was like for them. Now, a lot of differences don't draw parallels. It was a shocking statement nevertheless. Shocking statement. And they couldn't grasp it. And I think Habakkuk was struggling to grasp it as well. Because he also knew what had been promised to David on oath. That that there were forever be a descendant of yours on the throne in Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed and we're carried off into exile and all this happens, then, well, God, that must, your word doesn't stand. We have a very small view of God, don't we? He's a generational God. (laughs) He's got a big plan. That's one of the things we need to carry away from all of this. God has a big plan, a big plan. And he communicated that plan to guys like Abraham. Abraham never lived to see the fulfillment of the plan, did he? But Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's how you saved. Did you know that? You believe God and you act on it. Shema, O Israel. Hear, believe, and act. That's what that word means. And God says, that's my righteous one. They simply hear and obey. And so when the word was preached that Jesus is the Messiah, when Paul preached that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life and whoever believes and puts their trust in God's provision, it's credited to them as righteousness. They shall have eternal life. Do you see? All right, good. Because sometimes people think people in the Old Testament had no way of becoming a Christian because they didn't know about Jesus. Do you hear? Okay. No, no, no. It's always been faith, righteousness, okay? Believe God and act in accordance with that belief. Believing that has no action, what did James call that? Thank you. Dead faith. That's not, that's faith without works. That's nothing. You say you got faith and you got no work. You've got nothing to back it up. You haven't got faith. Okay. So God makes this response. Habakkuk then comes back with a different line of questioning. And you can hear his submission here. You, O Eternal One, have made Babylonia your tool for judgment. You, O rock, have established that king as your instrument of correction. But Lord, it doesn't say that, just says your eyes are too pure. But I can hear him saying, but Lord, okay, I get that. I hear what you're saying, but Lord, your eyes are too pure to even look at evil. You cannot turn your face toward injustice. So why do you stand by and watch those who act treacherously Why do you say and do nothing when the wicked swallows up the one who is more in the right than he is? And is he just going to keep on emptying his net? Destroying the nations without mercy? Where does this all end, God? Where is your justice in this? Flick back in your your thinking, your memory. Jeremiah 9.23. God says through Jeremiah, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. Know me. That I am the Lord. Listen. Listen to this. This is what God says about himself. I am the Lord who who exercises kindness, justice, And righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord, who is pure and holy and perfect, that they can exercise in perfect, holy wisdom and love, kindness, justice, and righteousness. Think about that. How are you compassionate, but at the same time, you know, slow to get angry, but but you've got to release judgment. You've got to punish what is wrong and evil and wicked. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, when God's judgments are in the earth, the people of the, the world learn righteousness. Right? Remember that? That's how we learn righteousness. How did you learn the difference between right and wrong as you were growing up? Your mum chased you around with a wooden spoon. (laughs) I'm speaking for Wayne. (laughs) That's how you learned righteousness, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah, me too. My mum used to say, this is going to hurt you more than it, I mean, hurt me more than it hurts you. I never believed that. But I learned righteousness. I learned the difference between right and wrong. That's for sure. Habakkuk is left to ponder and pray about the fact that he's committed to something that God's not committed to remember that God's plan is completely not what he had envisaged he wanted another go at revival and repentance and let's get this let's get it really cleaned up this time God if it was just in pretense last time I've been standing here praying Lord. But he says, okay, I'll stand at my watch and I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You ever wonder about that? Your Bibles, I think some versions say, or what to answer when I am rebuked. Isn't that interesting? What what does that mean? What's he thinking there? I'll look and see what he says and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Which complaint? What do you think? Who's complaining? I think some some translators have sort of got it. What answer I will give to God? You know, what would be my response back to God? But knowing the context, do you think Habakkuk might have been talking about all those other guys who were complaining about Jeremiah's prophecy? They're complaining. God doesn't act like that. That guy's a lunatic. No, 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 no. Hananiah, the prophet. No, no, no. Only two years. Only two years. You're going to be in, you know, whatever. This is right on. That this is right. This is right at the very end. Hananiah stands up and says, "No, only two, only two years." Jeremiah, take that yoke off your neck, you silly old man. Take it off your neck. We're not going to be subservient to Babylon. And Jeremiah turns around and says, "You're going to die this year, Hananiah. That's what the Lord says to you." And he did. Because you're lying. You're speaking. It's not the word of truth. And when truth needs to be spoken in an hour and somebody comes and says the opposite and says, don't worry about it. God loves you. Now he does love you. And we heard that last week from Nathan. (laughs) He does. And he would much rather we just got on board with exploring and, and pressing into that love and becoming confident in that love and obedient as a response to his love. But when we go off track and Judah has gone miles off track and far and far away from what God's called them to be and he raises up a prophet to warn them and say, you know, because in the early, early days, it was they could they could they could turn, they could turn, they could turn. As it got closer to the day, there's such a hardening of the heart. They just couldn't bring themselves to turn. So Habakkuk is asking this. What do I say? I need to know. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. You know what he's going to do? He's going to stand in the presence of the Lord. He's not going to move from that place. He's like, God, I've got to hear from you. I've got to hear from you. I've got to hear from you. Because I want to know how to answer that complaint. I want a perspective from heaven. I don't want a a humanistic perspective. I'm hearing that all around me. There's a perspective that is truth. It brings life to those who repent. I want that perspective. That's going to be the answer to all this other stuff that's going on. And all the chaos in the hour of crisis. Who do we believe? And who is the true prophet? Because when it's all coming down, new life, when you're in the storm, is that when you find that you hear God the clearest in the confusing circumstances? Is that where the clarity is for you? Jesus said, "We've got to build a house on the rock." That means start building now." So when the storm comes, we're not washed away. Jesus also said, "You've got to get oil right Matthew 25 that story of the virgins you know the two different lots the the wise ones and the foolish ones and the wise ones took extra oil with them they were ready in case they ran out of oil there's a message here you see when it's all calm and when it's peace and safety we become complacent and if you're going through a storm right now right now is the time to have a perspective from heaven to say god help me Travel through this storm because I understand that in your kindness towards me, you are strengthening me. Don't live your life in such a way to avoid everything unpleasant. Teach your children how to navigate those times with their eyes on Jesus, with the Father's love and kindness in their hearts. That perspective because he is kind. But he will also exercise justice and righteousness because he delights to do that do you know him? do you know him? when the storm comes what is where does your mind go I find in in talking with people a lot I talk a lot with people I, I find that there are little strongholds in people's mind and, they, and they'll and they get through a storm and then another one comes and it's like the same pattern of thinking. And so often the last thing we're looking for, you know, Proverbs 18 verse 10, I'm just going to read it to you right now. The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. That's my bottom line question. Are you running into his presence? Do you know him? Do you believe that he's kind? And when that storm hits and it doesn't look like kindness and it doesn't look like justice, can you run right into his presence and know that you're safe in that place? Because you know what? There's a big storm coming to the earth. We're already experiencing the edges of it. It's going to become more stormy. It's called the last days. It's called the end of this age. And Jesus has been up front about it. He spoke to his disciples and then he gave John at about the age of 90 a pretty dynamic revelation of what it's going to look like. Who's preparing for that? Who's preparing for that? I mean, seriously, what's your strategic plan? (laughs) What's your strategic plan? Because that ought to impact everything. What I do with my time, what I do with my money, the friendships I'm cultivating, the time I'm spending in the word of God, the time I'm spending in his presence learning to pray. Don't tell me you don't know how to pray. Learn. Because we go out and we learn lots of things, don't we? You don't just try, don't do something just because you don't know how to do it. You go and learn. And when we don't want to do these things, people, new life, it's telling us something about our hearts. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to get a hold of our hearts. Don't think it's something else. Oh, I don't have time. Ah, oh, you know, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, I cannot come. I can't come. I can't come to the banquet. Don't trouble me now. Who knows that song? I've married a wife and bought me a cow. I've got fields and commitments. Or married a cow and bought me... No, no. (laughs) Something like that. We used to sing it in Sunday school. I cannot come. Sorry, Lord. Can't come. Can't come to that banquet you're having. We laugh, but we're doing this all the time. Because we don't have a vision for what's coming. And you know why we don't have a vision for what's coming? One of two things, you're not reading this or you're reading this and you're going, that won't happen in my lifetime. No sweat. I don't know what, I don't know any other reason why you would not be preparing or maybe it's just rebellion. I'm not sure. Ask God to show you what's in your heart. I need to wrap this up. I want to say this, the heart, well, actually two reasons. I want to say this right now. Two reasons why God doesn't answer every question we have about his leadership. Just in case you think he should. He doesn't. Two reasons. We assume wrongly that we have the ability to evaluate good and evil. Just take that right back to the Garden of Eden. Okay? And secondly, God will not be subject to our evaluation. But that is the root of accusation. Isn't it? Isn't that the root of offense? I think I know better than you, God, so why is this happening to me? You see, the heart that desires God trusts and invites him to evaluate my secret life so that I can grow in holiness and purity. You see the difference? Which, which heart are you identifying most with right now? You see, God's mercy was on offer the whole time to Judah. Years, continuously, warning after warning after warning, he raised up voices, but it wasn't palatable. They didn't like it, so they rejected it. I've got four questions to close with this morning. Number one, are you committed to something God is not committed to right now? Are you committed, fully committed to something that God is not committed to? Are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to surrender to God no matter what you think that's going to mean? Number two, how will or how do you and your family respond in the day of calamity or the hour of crisis or a storm? Now, this can be... Lowercase d, or this could be how are you preparing for uppercase d, the day of the Lord, the end of the age day of the Lord, which we read about. We read about it. We see the pressures that are coming. Are you asking God, how do I prepare myself and how do I prepare my family? Or are you just simply trying to live Devoid of conflict. We do this. Just go for the most comfortable place right now. You don't have to. No, you don't. Ha- no, don't have to. No, don't have to. Stay safe. Am I choosing comfort, or am I choosing to be where God wants me to be, and to speak what He wants me to speak, and to prepare myself and my family for the coming day of calamity? Do you have a vision for that? Do you even have a vision for that? Have you even had a conversation as a family about this? Have you had a conversation with a good friend about this? Have you had a conversation with your children? Have you had a conversation with your... I don't know who. God. How do you want me to live, God? Because that's the next question. How then should we live? How then? And of course, Daniel... In the Bible, Daniel's family are the absolute best picture of this, I think. Well, there are a number, but it's a good one. Because A, Daniel is growing up in this time, right? He is a prince in the, in the, in the palace. So you've got the temple where the priests and the prophets, you've got Jeremiah wandering around the place, you've got Daniel growing up in the palace. Now, Daniel, we think, was about 15 When he's taken off to Babylon. That was in 605. Because he was one of the first ones taken. That was the first invasion. The royalty went. The best. Whatever. They all went. 605. So back it up. 620 that means. He was born. What did his parents name him? Daniel. Yes. What does it mean? God is my judge. Wow. That's an interesting thing. To name your child. When Zephaniah is prophesying. Zephaniah 1.8. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice. I will punish the officials and the king's sons. And all those clad in foreign clothes. You see Daniel's parents listened. That's the point. And for the first 15 years. They didn't know how long. They didn't know how long they had to train Daniel. But they were believing Wasn't even just Zephaniah, Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah and said, this is what's going to happen. So this is, the warning bell has been ringing. We are the same. How many times has God rung that bell in your face and you've put it down to something else? Or said, yeah, maybe. Okay, God, next time. Daniel's parents listened. Because they were righteous. What is the definition of righteous? Those who live in dependent trust on God, right? They were righteous. And they raised Daniel to be righteous. They trained him. You know what? they, They trained him for exile. That's what they did. They went to the end of the story that was being prophesied. They said, this is what the prophets are saying. Daniel, we're going to train you for that end outcome. We're going to train you to live in exile. We're going to train you to be in a foreign land. And know what to do. And know how to love God. We're going to train you now. What wisdom. Wisdom, Jesus said, is justified by its children. So then how should we live? Second Timothy 3, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you know my teaching. Timothy, you know my way of life. You know my purpose. You know my faith and my patience. You know me. You know how I've endured persecutions and suffering, Timothy. You know what happened to me. In all those different places. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Continue in what you've learned, Timothy. Know the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise. Can you hear Jeremiah? Can you hear Jeremiah 9.23? If you want to boast about anything, boast that you know me. 1 Corinthians 9 24, he says, Paul says again, run so that you may attain the prize, the end goal. Is it? Is it in your conversation? Is it in your thoughts? Is it in your family strategic planning? Those of you who are planning to be, I don't know, doctors, nurses, teachers, whatever you're planning to be, I don't know, whatever, is it in your plan? Or have you been lulled to sleep by the voice of the culture about what's important and what's not? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I love this verse. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Then you will know. How to test things. How to know the perfect and pure will of God. How to know what's right and what's wrong. You get it? Psalm 37. And don't fret when you see evil people get in the upper hand. This is my paraphrase. (laughs) When they succeed in their ways, the grass withers, the green plants soon die away. Be still. In your storm. Be still in your crisis. Be still and wait patiently for the Lord. exercise the faith that is credited to you as righteousness. Exercise it. Wait patiently. Don't run around running off your mouth. Don't run around doing stuff to to make the situation change. You know, don't upset people. Don't vent your anger. No, no, no. Be still and wait patiently for the Lord. My final question. Oh, actually, before that, Proverbs eighteen ten. I read it to you. Do you respond like Habakkuk? The Lord is a fortified tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Do you respond like Habakkuk? Is that what you do? Is that your default? Because when the pressure comes, it's the default that comes to the surface. So make it your default now. Don't be anxious. Don't spread your fear and anxiety. Run into Him. Final question. And this is a really genuine question, and I believe it's one I sense the Lord asking it this week. Where are the true prophets? I'm not talking about you got a word for someone. That's what I'm talking about. The biblical definition of a prophet well, they have to know God, right? They have to have stood in His counsel. They need to know what he's done in the past and the present and be able to see the future because they know God. Revelation 19.10 says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Whatever Jesus is saying right now, and he's itching to come back. Whatever he's saying right now, that's what I'm saying. Whatever he's doing right now, that's what I'm doing. And I'm living my life This is the true prophetic. I'm living my life now with my eyes on eternity and I'm running to the beat of that drum. Not my own stuff. That's secondary. What does that voice sound like? Who can discern the times? Who's standing in the council of the Lord and will not shrink back when the Lord lays their hand on them? Who will eat the scroll? The scroll, the one that is sweet in the mouth when you first taste it and then it turns sour in the stomach. The same one that the Lord said to John through the angel, look at the scroll, John, in the angel's hand. Take it and eat it. That scroll, it's going to be sweet in your mouth and it's going to be sour. In your stomach, and then son of man, go and prophesy again. Now he's talking to his beloved John, his beloved disciple John, who's about 90 years age. They've tried to kill him. He's, he's endured all sorts of persecutions. He's on the Isle of Patmos, where he's been exiled, and he's going to get off that island. He doesn't know that at that point. And the Lord's telling him, and John, prophesy again. <laughs> You got another lap to do, John, before you come back here. Wow. (laughs) Who will prophesy prophesy again like Jeremiah, like Habakkuk, like John the Baptist, who will lay their lives down unto death? Who will have that word of the Lord burning in them? There's people in this room. That's who. And I, I actually think... We are all called to prophesy like this. We are all called to know the will of God, the plan of God, and to prophesy in word, thought, and deed. That is faith. That's faith, isn't it? Where do you sit this morning? Where do you sit this morning? Are you standing on the watchtower? You know, whatever that means to you. What does it mean to stand on the watchtower? What watchtower? Forget about that. Are you in his presence? Are you in his presence? Do you love his word? Do you just love when you can get that time with him? You know? Are you working your job during the day? And you're thinking, God, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I can't wait till I get home. And the kids are in bed and I've got that... 30 minutes. Is your heart alive like that? New life. Now, Jesus rebuked the church in Sardis because they had a reputation for being alive, but they weren't. We can't borrow from someone else's reputation, we can't borrow their oil. But the best thing of all, Jesus has plenty. And the wise will take him up on it. And they're going to shine like stars. That's what, that's what Daniel said. The wise in that hour are going to shine like stars. Oaks of righteousness. For the display in the, of the splendor of the Lord. Because the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Do you believe it? Faith without works is dead. Okay? That's what James said. I didn't say that. Faith without works is dead. Let's stand to sing.